You can turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 12. And uh, we're going to be reading from verse 15 to 21. And um, tonight I, I want to talk to y'all about uh, a key phrase in this passage. Uh, I want to talk to y'all about being rich in God. And it's, it's something that, that Jesus says here uh, at the end of, of giving a little bit of instruction. And then he gives a parable. And, and then he encourages us to be rich in God. So let's, let's go ahead and read, uh, starting in uh, chapter 12, Luke chapter 12, verse 15. Then he said, Beware, guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. Then he told them a story. A rich man had a fertile farm that produce fine crops. He said to himself, what should I do? I don't have room for all my crops. Then he said, I know, I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. Then I'll have room enough to store all my wheat and other goods. And I'll sit back and say to myself, my friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. Now take it easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, you will die this very night. Then who will get everything you worked for? Yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. So let's pray. Lord, we need your help tonight, God. We, we need you to come and, and open our hearts to receive the word, Lord. Uh, God, we need you to, to come and, and, Lord, help us not to be uh, stony ground, Lord, that is hard towards your word, God. Father, help us not to be shallow tonight uh, where, where we may uh, quickly bear fruit, Lord God, but it has no root, Lord. God, I pray that the, the, the worries and the cares of this life uh, would not distract us during this time, Lord God, that you would help us to uh, focus our minds and focus our hearts on what you have to say, Lord. And God, we ask that you would make our hearts deep, fertile soil, Lord God, to receive your word, Lord God, and bear much fruit, Lord. And so, God, we ask that that you would come now and give us ears to hear and eyes to see, and hearts to receive, O oh God. Lord, I pray for your grace, Lord God, to be faithful to your word, Lord God. Help me to be uh, theologically and doctrinally sound, Lord. And God, we pray that during this time that your church will be built up. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so we'll spend a lot of time uh, in, in this Luke passage, but we'll also be flipping around a little bit. But I just want to kind of start back at the beginning here, in uh, the first half of verse 15. Uh, he says, Jesus says, Beware, guard against every kind of greed. And you see, Jesus is, is warning us here to be aware of something. He's warning us to raise our awareness about something. He's telling us to be uh, cautious and alert about something. 
we are to be on our guard and, and literally keeping ourselves from something. And that something here is obvious in the passage. It's greed. Uh, he says, guard yourself against every kind of greed. And greed is defined biblically as lusting for a greater number of temporal things that go beyond what God determines is eternally best for us. So, you know, we said yours is the kingdom, yours is the glory, yours is the power, right? And when we say that, we have a a doctrinal understanding that we are where we are because God has put us where we are. And so there's there's this thing called discontent. And sometimes we look at other people and what they have and we become discontent with our lot and we begin to long for and even lust for um, something that we don't currently have. We begin to want more. And, and there is a fine line there, but at some point... Uh, we cross over into what Jesus is warning us about, this greed, this this um, ungodly desire to not be where we are right now. And that's what he's warning us about. And then he goes on, uh, he gives the reason that we should be on our guard in the second half of the verse. And here's the reason that he gives. He says, life is not measured by how much you own. That is a countercultural statement because everything around us tells us that life is measured by how much you own. Uh, everything inside of us tells us that when we have some cool stuff or uh, if we make a certain amount of money or we can go and do certain things, then that defines our life. And that is a lie. That's a lie uh, against what the Bible teaches. Now, there's nothing special about money, okay? Uh, it's a plastic card. That's all I use now, mostly. Or it's paper with ink on it. Or it's small coins with presidents on it, right? There's nothing really special about that. Uh, the only thing special about money is that we as a culture have decided to use it as currency. So if I want to buy food, I take the paper with ink on it, and I, I go and I, and I give it, and I can have food or whatever I might want. That's the only thing special about it. But there's something very significant about what is culturally defined as valuable or currency. Um, and that significant thing is that what we spend money on reveals what we treasure most in our heart. So Jesus said this in this same chapter, in verse 34, he said, wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. So that's the significance of money. It's not significant in and of itself, but what is extremely and eternally significant about money is that it reveals where the desires of our heart is. So let's read the parable now, starting in verse 16. It says, Then he told them a story. 
A rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. He said to himself, what should I do? I don't have room for all my crops. Then he said, I know. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. Then I'll have room enough to store all my wheat and other goods. And I'll sit back and say to myself, my friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. Now take it easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, you will die this very night. Then who will get everything you work for? Yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. So what we see here is, is that money can either be helpful or hazardous. It can be hazardous if what we do with it reveals that we value stuff and things more than we value God. However, it can be helpful if what we do with it reveals that we value God more than the things of this world. Remember, where our treasure is, there are the desires of our heart. So we have to ask ourselves a question. God didn't like something about what the farmer did, right? Obviously, he calls him a fool. Uh, so what was the sin or the foolishness of the rich farmer? What, what was the folly of the rich farmer in the parable? Uh, it certainly, I don't believe, was not that his farm was fertile and that he had a lot of increase. I don't think that God had any problem with that. Uh, and you can kind of deduce that from uh, the fact that he really doesn't mention either one of those things in the condemnation of the farmer. So let's read it again in verse 20. It says, But God said to him, You fool, you will die this very night. Then who will get everything you worked for? Yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. So the man's sin was not that he had much increase, but that he, but it was what he did with his increase. The man's statement to take it easy and eat, eat drink, and be merry, um, you know, sometimes things are lost in translation, right? Have you ever spoken to someone who English isn't their first language? And sometimes things are lost in translation, right? And so sometimes in the Bible, it helps to have um, commentary or uh, insight from people who understand the original languages more. And this particular statement here is an example of that because this statement of, of take it easy, uh, eat, drink, be merry, uh, it has a much more emphatic meaning in the Hebrew idiom uh, than it does in the English. You know, kind of like if you told someone from another country, um, uh, I can't think of a saying of a speech, uh, it's raining like cats and dogs, it's idiom. It's raining like cats and dogs, they, they won't understand that, right? And so there's a much more emphatic meaning here in, in, the, in the Hebrew idiom and culture than is seen in, in the eye and, and just a reading in English. But, but essentially, uh, it implies that he has all that is necessary for gratifying all his senses 
and all his desire, and at the root of it, it implies no need for God. And that is a heart that God sees as foolish. So you see, wealth is a funny thing. Uh, it's very deceitful. In fact, the Bible calls it deceitful. Uh, it says that riches are deceitful. Uh, it tells us that if we, and this is some of the lies that money will tell us. And we've all believed the lie at one point or another. We all struggle with the lie, and we live in a culture that, that enforces these lies. Uh, it tells us that if we do not have it, money, then our life is not all that it could be. It implies um, that if we had more of it in our lives, then our lives would be better. Riches not only seek to deceive us in this way, but they also seek to destroy us. They are a primary means by which the enemy seeks to destroy us. Let me show you a couple of scriptures. Turn over to Colossians. You know, I found in preparing for this that when you use your phone all the time, you forget where the books of the Bible are. Okay. Colossians 3.5. It says, So put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you, have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. And here, the second half is what more pertains to what we're talking about. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. God doesn't take too kindly to idolatry, right? That's what greed is. Greed is putting other things, putting stuff above God. Uh, go a little more to the right to First Timothy. This really shows the destructive power of, of greed and, and the desire to be rich. First uh, Timothy 6, verses 9 through 10. But people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, and some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows." So money definitely has a destructive power in the lives of unbelievers for sure, but also in the lives of believers. And, um, you know, there's, there's split opinions about what God is saying to the man in this, in this, in his condemnation in verse 20 and 21. Uh, uh there's, there's, I think the New King James says, tonight your soul will be required of you. And so, uh, you know, there are some people that, that believe that this man's love of money kept him from repentance and from turning to God and damned him, kept him from the Lord. And we know and we can see in the world that that is definitely uh, an epidemic 
in the hearts of men. You know, but then some people also believe that um, that that God is is declaring the vanity of his accumulation of wealth, and that it does not add one moment to his life. He has all this money, and he's making all these plans. I'm just going to pile it up. I'm going to live it up, and then he's he's dead. And it didn't do one thing to extend his life. And it, and it can't do one thing for him after that point that we're all going to come to one day. We're all going to come to that place where this body dies, right? Uh, and, and, and the wealth that we accumulate in this life, it does us no good from that point on. There is no value to anything in our bank account right now or any of our assets beyond uh, that point. And so... Uh, so anyhow, there, there's split opinions on that, but either way, this is a sober warning against greed and lust for money. It's a sober warning of how it can destroy our lives. And Jesus teaches us quite the opposite of the lies that money tells us. He tells us that life is not about having things, but about knowing God. That is life according to this book. That's life. So let's look at a couple of places. You can find it all through the Bible. Uh, first, in verse 15 again, we see that life is not about stuff. Um, Jesus said, life is not measured by how much you own. So what is life, according to Jesus? And turn over to John chapter 17. Verse 3, and this is the way to have eternal life. This is Jesus talking. This is life. That's what he's saying. I don't care what anybody else says. This is life. This is Jesus. To know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, the one you sent to earth. So you see... We spend our whole lives trying to find satisfaction in stuff, right? Even believers, we know these things, but we, we give ourselves to stuff trying to find satisfaction. We, we give ourselves to uh, all these things. We look for satisfaction in, in food and in traveling and in hobbies and in television and in a hundred other things. Yet Jesus teaches that our satisfaction is found in Him. You know, and there is a place for those things, right? But seek first the kingdom of God, and then all of these things will be added to you. And there's a problem when all of these things are pushing the kingdom of God and pushing our relationship with God out of the priority and out of the forefront. And if God, having a relationship with Him, having a deep and a rich and a true relationship with Him is not a priority in our lives, then something's got to go. There's a problem, and it's destructive in our lives. So how does Jesus satisfy? Let's, let's look, uh, still in John, let's turn back to uh, John chapter 6 couple of very familiar passages. 
John chapter 6, verse 35. Jesus replied, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. One chapter over, 7 verse 37. On the last day, the climax of the festival, Jesus stood and shouted to the crowds, Anyone who is thirsty may come to me. Anyone who believes in me may come and drink. For the scriptures declare rivers of living water will flow from his heart. Now, I was talking to Laura about this the other day, and I was thinking about these scriptures. I believe that there is a reason that God made us people who rely on food for energy and who rely on water to live. There's probably a lot of reasons, but I think I know one of the primary reasons for that. Uh, There's a reason why when you haven't eaten in a good while and you are very hungry, a piece of warm bread is extremely satisfying. You know, um, some of the best meals I've ever eaten, not coincidentally, were when I was very, very hungry, right? Um, because when, when we're hungry, food is extremely satisfying. And, and particularly here, Jesus uses the picture of bread. There's a reason why uh, when you've been working in the hot sun and are very thirsty, a cold glass of water is extremely satisfying. There's a reason for that. And I believe that one of, if not the primary reason that God made us this way is so that we could understand this, meta- this metaphor that Jesus satisfies. He is satisfying like a cold glass of water when we are hot and we are thirsty. He satisfies that way. He is satisfying um, like when we have been working and we are very hungry and we eat something and we are satisfied. You know, and I think that's why that is there. I think that's why he made us that way so that when Jesus came, we could understand that in him I find satisfaction. I find I find what I need in him. He's the satisfaction that we seek in countless things of this world. And just like with food, if you, if you, uh, have a nice homemade, you know, not, not store bought bread, but that good homemade bread sitting on the table, but you fill yourself up with junk. When you go to eat the bread, it's not satisfying. And so when we glut ourselves with stuff, And with the things of this world, then we go to Jesus and we say, man, I just don't feel his presence. You know, it's because we are seeking our satisfaction in other things when we should come first to the bread and be satisfied. And all all the other things find their place. It's an awesome metaphor. So the foolish and potentially damnable thing that the rich farmer did was storing up earthly wealth for a self-centered, 
rather than God-centered purpose. You know, I, I could even go so far to say that I, I don't think necessarily that his idea to tear down his barns and build bigger barns is the sin. It's what he was going to do with that that was the sin. It was self-centered rather than God-centered. I will bring me glory rather than give God glory. That's the heart that God calls foolish. That's the heart that God condemns. So we have to ask the question. Let's Verse 21 again. It says, uh, oh, I'm in the wrong spot. He says, yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. So now the next question that we need to ask is, what does it mean to be rich in God? What does that mean? What is, what is underneath the text here? Um, being rich in God, I'll say it three ways. Being rich in God is our heart being drawn to God as our riches. Being rich in God is counting God as greater riches than anything on earth. Being rich in God is using earthly riches to show how much we value God. See, there's no sin or folly in increase in prosperity, but in using increase in, in, in prosperity for self-indulgence and security rather than magnifying God. I, I tell you a lie. I'll tell you an American lie. If I can just set up enough to where one day I have security and take it easy, then my life is set. That is my golden egg. That is my pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. If I could just lay up enough for myself and have security, then I will be set. You know, reality. There is not one thing in our life that we have that cannot be taken away from us in an instant. There is no such thing as security. What The only thing that we can 100% be certain about is, Father, give me this day my daily bread. And when we get in this mentality of, I'm going to make it happen, I'm going to have this security, I have my... I have my finances and my life set up in such a way that, that I am set and secure. We are in a very dangerous heart and mindset. Whether rich or poor, our daily prayer should be, Father, give me my daily bread. You are the one that I rely on. Uh, everything that I have is yours. I rely on you for my sustenance. I've lost myself. The person who is rich in God says that all their increase belongs to Him and asks God to show them how they can be generous in a way that God is their greatest treasure. So practically, uh, how do we do that? How do we, how do we show, how do we use our money in such a way that it, that it makes God the most important thing in our life? The first thing is that we need to develop a superior love for Jesus 
above all things in the world. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. We need not to have a superficial giving. We need to have giving that comes from a heart that loves God most. That's what we need. How do we get that? This is accomplished by learning about Jesus' worth in the Bible and praying for God to change our hearts to love Him most. Right? It starts with being born again, right? Takes out the heart of stone, takes out the heart that, that loves myself most. Uh, when we're born again, He takes that out and He puts in a new, tender, responsive heart, right? And then, but from that point, we can't put it into neutral, right? We can't just let it ride. It's a constant battle for God to be at the top, right? Paul said, I die daily. I crucify my flesh daily. And so it's a constant battle in which we, we look at the book. I have a strong conviction that you, that you cannot have the deep and sincere and true love for Jesus that we need to shine as lights in this world if we're not looking at the book. This is where He reveals Himself. This is, this is where we see Him. This is how I see Jesus. This is how I hear Him speak to me. You know, me and Patsy were talking about, we don't just look at the book, we give it our undivided attention. We reverence the book. We turn off the music. We turn off the television. We, we, we find a way to get away from our children. Maybe we wake up a little early. Maybe we turn the TV off an hour early, but we gotta look at the book to know Him and to love Him and to treasure Him like God requires of us. Because when we begin to love Jesus most, then our affections and our will begin to fall into line with His affections and His will. And no longer are we doing religious things to check off a box, but we're doing religious things because we love to obey His commandments. We love to make the one whom we love happy. You know? So we got to look at the book. we got to read about Jesus and, and, and His worth in the Bible. And then we pray. We pray, God, change my heart. Let me see you. Let me love you. Do the, let me love you most. So that's the first and most important thing. The second thing, give regularly to the church. And what I mean by uh, regularly is, is that uh, not just, uh, hey, somebody at the church's refrigerator broke. Oh, I'm going to help with that. Or, um, you know, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to buy such and such as lunch today to bless them. Uh, a regular giving to the church is very biblical. In fact, it's required by the Bible. And what that does is, is that regularly, I'm regularly able to take, uh, my money and worship God by saying, God, I value you more than what I could buy with this money. I value you more than whatever it is that I could spend with this money, so I give it. I give it happily. I give it freely. I give it with a happy heart. 
Um, so you may ask, well, how much? How much should I give? Well, Paul says that each person should determine in their own heart what they should give, right? Uh, however, there is a deep biblical precedent called the tithe. And we talk about the tithe all the time. The tithe is giving the first 10% of your income to the church, a regular gift to the church to support the ministry. And so that's what we as a church encourage you to make your baseline. It's the tithe. First 10% I give to the church as a regular offering to God. Excuse me. Um, but I definitely believe that God is, is quite happy should, by the leading of the Holy Spirit, we give more. And so we follow, uh, we start at the, that baseline of the tithe, and then we follow the Apostle Paul's teaching. Let each one determine in his own heart what he can happily and cheerfully give. So, number one, we need a superior love for Jesus above all things in the world. Number two, we give regularly to the church. And number three, and I'm sure there are many more things that we can do, but number three, and, and lastly on my list, we leave room in our budget to give spontaneously as the Holy Spirit leads. Another world lie, another culture lie. If you make more money, then you should increase your standard of living. If you make more, then you deserve to spend more. World lie, not true. An increase in our income gives us a, a greater opportunity to be generous with our resources. You know, I'm not saying that we never should buy things for ourselves, but if if we are so tight with house notes and car notes and credit cards and all these things where we're just stretching our income to its limit and there's no room for the Holy Spirit to be the Lord of our finances, then we have a problem and something's got to go. When the Holy Spirit speaks to us, we can't be in a place financially where we can't say, yes, Lord. You know, it's important that we build in our budget the ability um, and that we, we keep our standard of living at such a level to where we have the ability to say, uh, yes, Lord, I'll give to that that you're leading me to give. So those are three things. Uh, three practical applications. Most of you in this room already do most of those things. Uh, I encourage you to keep those things in place and begin to use them uh, and be uh, aware that these are acts of worship that we, that we stoke our love and our affection for God with. So uh, let me close with a scripture. It's Paul's word to the rich. It's a scripture to the rich. Now you may be saying, I'm not rich. Well, compared to most of the world, you are rich. In fact, I would say most, if not everyone in here, is rich comparatively to uh, the global poverty and, 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 and wealth. So this is a word to us. Um, back to 1 Timothy. Let me get there. Let me get there. 
1 Timothy 6, verse 17 through 19. Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. By doing this, they will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience true life. Not what the television and the movies and the world tells us is life. That's not life. This is life. To know the one true God. To love Him supremely. And one of the greatest tools that He's given us to do that is our finances. So let's pray. Father, we we thank You, Lord, for Your Word. We thank You that it is living, powerful, and active, Lord. God, I pray that You would change our hearts tonight, Lord. Father God, make us counter-cultural Bible people, Lord. Father God, help us to get our hearts off of our fixation with stuff. Lord, I pray that those things would begin to become less and less valuable in our lives and that your worth and your glory in our lives would increase, O God. Lord, help us, Father, to hold loosely to the things of this world, even while we're being good stewards over them, Lord. And Father, I pray that you would give us wisdom, Lord God. Uh, Father, give us wisdom on how to walk in both. All good things are from the Lord and are to be enjoyed by His people. And guard yourself against every type of greed, Lord. Oh God, that, that requires so much wisdom. Lord, we ask for that tonight, God, that you would give us wisdom and discernment and leading by your Holy Spirit, God. And Father, I pray that for every person in the, in here, Lord God, whether they are rich or are poor, Lord God, whether we have a lot or a little, Lord, or, or anywhere in between, God, I pray that we could know that you have put us where we are on purpose, God. I pray that you would help us to be content with where we are and do all that we can do for your kingdom exactly where we are, God. And Lord, that every single day that we would come to our good Father, our good Shepherd, and ask for all of our need, Lord. Lord, help us to find our strength and our security in you. And Lord, let our desire not be in wealth, but in knowing you, O God. Lord, we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.